In Shalach, we learn about the sin of the spies. Tzitzit are worn so we don't explore after our heart and eyes. The Meraglim brought back massive fruit. For their sin, they had to tack on 40 years to their root. Okay, so this week's Parsha is Parsha Shalach. And the Parsha begins by detailing the Chaita Meraglim, the sin of the spies. So the Parsha tells us that these 12 spies, they were all Nasim, they were all leaders of the people. They were very distinguished uh, members of the Jewish people. And what is so shocking about this is that previously in last week's Parsha, we learned about Miriam and the, um, the Lashon Hara that she did about, uh, about Moshe. And, uh, and Rashi says that the, one of the sins that, one, one of the terrible things that happened here is that the spies, these 12 leaders, they should have learned from Miriam and the punishment that she faced to get Sarat um, because she spoke Lush and Hora about Moshe. Those people should have learned from her mistake and have not done the same thing immediately following what she did in this week's Parsha by the sin of the spies. And additionally, the fact that they were all, the fact that they were all leaders of the people, that uh, the Nasim were the leaders and they were very distinguished. Miriam also was a tremendous leader of the Jewish people, likely even bigger than these 12. And Miriam was such a big leader, and even it was clear that even she could fall um, from the good graces and you know, be punished for speaking Lashon Hora. Certainly, these 12 spies should have realized that just because they're leaders doesn't mean that they're somehow insulated from committing sins. In fact, Maybe that's part of the reason why they were the ones that came back with a negative report, because these were people that were leaders in the desert. They were leaders in Bamidbar. And they were looking at a report to look for, scout out the land of Israel. And likely when there's a massive change in society, the leaders also change. So right now, at, at this moment in time in, in Jewish history, the people were in Bamidbar in the desert. And it's very likely that these leaders would, would have only been leaders in the time of the desert. But when they got to Israel, it would have been that their leadership wasn't needed anymore and their new leaders would have been found and replaced them. So perhaps these leaders were cognizant of that and at least subconsciously that affected their uh, valuation of the land of Israel and it made them view Israel in a negative light. So it's important that just because a person is a leader and in fact, sometimes specifically because they're a leader, it may be that they're not in a, you know, that, that they're um, susceptible to doing bad things and they may abuse their power or try to hold on to their power, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we should know that just because we're in maybe a, power, a powerful position doesn't mean that we can't make mistakes. Okay, so moving on in the Parsha. So Moshe, he prays for Joshua. And he changes Joshua's name from Hoshea to Yehoshua. He adds a yud to the name. And this was to kind of give Yehoshua an extra boost by adding that yud. Um, it was giving like a godly element to his name. But strangely, you know, why didn't Moshe decide to bless all 12 of the people 
it should have been that, you know, all 12 people he should have given a blessing to, not merely just one. Um, and in fact, also, Caliph was the other, Yehoshua and Caliph were the two good spies. All the other 10 brought back bad reports. So it seems that the good spy, that Caliph also was a good spy, so he also should have been blessed. So why exactly did Moshe only bless Yehoshua by adding a yud to his name, but didn't help any of the other ones? So there's a few answers given. given. One is from the Targum Yonatan. He says that Joshua's humility, Yehoshua's humility, um, he was such a humble person that that humility was susceptible to being persuaded. So, you know, while in last week's partial we saw just how humble a person Moshe was, and that was a good thing. I spoke about in last week's class and, and, and last week's podcast that that um, just because Moshe was very humble didn't mean that he was afraid of stepping up and saying what he believed in. But with that being said, being an extremely humble person, that's a, there's a fine line. And because Moshe saw that Yehoshua was such a humble person, he had to give him a little bit of a boost um, because he needed to he needed him to recognize that he shouldn't be so humble. And um, if you're too humble, then it's a possibility that you'll be susceptible to being persuaded. Um, and he could have been that Yoshua would have been persuaded by uh, these, these bad forces. So also, moving to talk about, um, you know, another possible reason for why Moshe prayed for Joshua and changed his name from Ho- um, Hosea to Yehoshua is because um, Joshua was Moshe's main Talmud. Joshua was Moshe's main student. And there is, you know, some perks of being close to great people. And this kind of just goes to show you one of those perks that it was perhaps exactly because his name was changed from Hosea to Yehoshua that he was one of those, one of the two spies that didn't, um, that uh, was able to hold strong and, and give a positive report of the land of Israel. And we should learn from this that just the tremendous benefits of being around uh, good people, being around people that are a positive influence, because very likely those people will look favorably upon you and will give you advice, will give you an extra blessing, will give you an extra push in the right direction. And that's what happened here. Because Joshua was Moshe's main Talmud, Moshe was quick to give him uh, an extra blessing. And that extra blessing very possibly led to his success uh, in the face of, you know, a lot of opposition, two to ten. In the face of a lot of opposition, he was able to give a positive report. Okay, so moving on. um, So then the people, the the 12 spies go out and the, um, the commentators say that Kalev, the other good spy, in addition to Yeshua, but Kalev alone, he went to go um, to Hebron to pray by the patriarchs. And um, it was perhaps precisely because of his prayer by the patriarchs that he was able to have the courage and the strength to persevere and to um, give a positive report. So what's fascinating here is that both Kalev, by praying by the patriarchs, and Yehoshua, by changing his name, those were both devices that they used in order to survive um, kind of this inclination to give a bad report. And I think that this is a tremendous lesson for us that, similar to the first point that I said, just because we may find ourselves as leaders 
doesn't necessarily mean that we are totally, um, you know, absolved of committing any sin whatsoever. We very well may be susceptible to doing all of these bad things um, that, you know, we might be inclined to do just because we're in a leadership position doesn't make us uh, indestructible. And Kalev and Yehoshua both realized that. Kalev realized that he was not strong enough by himself. He had to go to Hebron and seek out the, the, the advice and the courage and the strength from the patriarchs. And likewise, Yehoshua, he had to actually change his name. And that was really the only way these two people were able to survive the onslaught of the inclination to give a bad report about Israel, was by actively taking steps to make sure that they were not going to be susceptible. And we should realize that we're not necessarily strong enough just by ourselves to overcome such an inclination, that sometimes we have to go above and beyond and take tangible steps like praying by the, pave of the, uh, pray, praying by the patriarchs, changing our name, some drastic step that will make us strong enough um, in the face of adversity. Okay, so moving on here. Um, so Moshe tells the people to take fruit from the land of Israel. And um, they, they do just that. They, the, the, um, the 12 spies, they take grapes and they take a fig and a pomegranate. And these, supposedly this, these grapes were so massive that they couldn't, not just one person could hold them, you know, in a sack. They actually needed um, an entire pole. Two people had to hold a pole to put the grapes on. And likewise, the fig also was so big that just one person could carry one fig. And same with the pomegranate. Only one person could carry one pomegranate because these fruit were so huge. So, you know, what's fascinating about this is what, what exactly did the people do wrong? Because Moshe clearly told them to take fruit, and that's exactly what they did. They took fruit. What's wrong with that? And to add to this question, the, the, in, in the modern-day state of Israel, the Israeli Ministry of Tourism actually uses the symbol of two people carrying rods with a massive bunch of fruit hanging from it. So, but uh, clearly, this was actually a bad thing the spies did that this made the people worried, this made the people have get, get anxiety that the fruit were so large. So what exactly was, was so bad about the people following orders, uh, about the people, you know, following what Moshe said to take fruit? They did just that. What's wrong with that? So what's wrong with that is the intention, the intent behind it. Moshe's intent was to say, look at this beautiful fruit that we have. And same thing with the, um, the Israel Ministry of Tourism. They were they're, they're both kind of, Moshe and the Israel Ministry of Tourism are saying, look at the tremendous fruit that we have, the tremendous amount of blessing, uh, the tremendous, you know, good things in our lives. Um, and the big fruit are a good sign. That means that it's plentiful, it's large, you know, things grow well. Um, but the spies took the exact same fruit, the exact same substance, and turned it on its head. And their intent was not to have a good intent of showing just how plentiful the land was. On the other hand, it was to show how abnormal and how dangerous and how big and scary the land was. And that's important for us to realize that the same things can be used for good or evil. Um, you know, these big grapes, they could either be used for good or they could be used for evil. And uh, that's what we should know about, you know, really anything in, li in, in our lives, that th some things can be you, you know, the same things can be used for good or evil, depending on how we intend to use them. Okay, so moving on in the Parsha, um, they, 
the the uh, the Miraglin, the spies, they begin their report by talking about how the land is flowing with milk and honey. Uh, so that seems like a good thing. However, after that, they say the land has been is flowing with milk and honey, and then they use the word "efes," which means "but," and they say "but." Then there's powerful giants, and there's Amalek, and there's all these dangerous things. So, you know, it's um, a little bit, you know, unclear what exactly the the uh, the spies did wrong. You know, as I said before, Moshe tells them to bring fruit; they bring fruit. Moshe asks them, "Tell us about, you know, the strength of the people there," and they do just that. So, what's wrong with this? Perhaps it's because they use this word "efes," but. You know, they gave their own opinion. They should have just said, the land is flowing with milk and honey, there are, there are giants, there's a malik. All those things are legitimate things to say. But when they use the word efes, when they use the word but, there's powerful giants, that sounds like that's a bad thing all of a sudden. They're, they're, they're injecting their own opinion into what they should have done, which was give just a factual report. This happened, this happened, I saw this, I did this, X and Y. But they shouldn't have given their opinion. And by saying FS, by saying but, that was giving their opinion that basically these powerful giants and Amalek, these were forces that they couldn't contend with. And had they just given a factual report and not given their own, injected their own opinion that they wouldn't be able to conquer these people, then what they would have done would have been legitimate and it wouldn't have totally, uh, you know, altered the the course of Jewish history. Um, And also, you know, why did the report even begin by saying that the land flows with milk and honey? They should have just started by saying that there's giants and there's a Malik and all these bad things. Why did the report have to begin with something positive that there was that the land was in fact flowing with milk and honey. So there's an idea I heard from Rabbi Woolby that falsehood, Sheker in Hebrew, uh, that falsehood cannot stand without at least a little bit of truth. You need some truth in order for falsehood to stand. So the little bit of truth that the report gave was that the land was in fact flowing with milk and honey. That was true. And then the falsehood was all the other stuff. But it's important to realize that the only reason this lie had legs, so to speak, was because the, the, this, this report had some amount of truth by saying that the land was flowing with milk and honey. Um, and as opposed to later on in the Parsha, um, the two good spies, Kalev and Yehoshua, say that the land was tova ha'aretz ma'od ma'od. The, the land was very, very good. And in, in this report, they say the land was good, it was flowing with milk and honey, but there was a qualification. But when the other reports, when the, when the two good spies are talking, they just say, that the land was very, very good, no exceptions. And that's how we should sometimes live our lives, that when we're questioning something, but we know it's the right decision, we shouldn't qualify it. We should just say, it's very, very good. Ma'od, ma'od. Uh, you know, tova aretz ma'od ma'od, and leave it at that. Okay, so moving on in the parsha, we learn that uh, the the spies say that there was a it's a land that devours its inhabitants. That Israel's a land that devours its inhabitants, and one of the reasons given for how what exactly this means that it devours its inhabitants. Um, one of the possible answers is that Israel has a very high standard for um, it. Israel has an extremely high standard for how the people behave, what kind of ethics and values that the people have. And this was scary to the 
to the ten spies that they th- they the the ten bad spies felt that uh, that the land was being devoured by its inhabitants, and um, meaning that uh, the, the land sorry that the land was devouring its inhabitants, meaning that basically there was no way that when they entered the land they would be good enough that they would have the um, they would have the values and the ethics to be able to live in such a land. And Kaliv gives an interesting response. Kaliv says that we'll surely ascend and conquer it, and conquer the land. And what he means here by surely ascend is one idea is that as long as, you know, on your path to becoming a better person, you're constantly ascending. You're taking one step up in the ladder, ladder, one step up, one step up, one step up. You don't need to jump the whole ladder. You don't always need to be at the top. As long as you're just moving slowly and surely up and up and up, then that's good enough for Israel. So that's what Kalev was saying. Don't be scared off by the fact you have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect as long as you're constantly growing. That that's the antidote to making sure that the land of Israel doesn't devour you is just by sure you know by going up and up and up uh, slowly but surely. Okay, so moving on in the parsha, the spies talk about how um, the spies say we were like grasshoppers in our eyes. And so we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, in the people that were their eyes, meaning the um, the Canaanim, the, the people that were living in Israel at the time. And what's fascinating about this is the order. It says, we were like grasshoppers in our eyes. Why were they like grasshoppers in, in their own eyes? That seems a little bit strange. So a nice idea I heard on this is that they lacked confidence in themselves. They thought that they were nothing. They thought that they were grasshoppers in their own eyes. And then a lack of confidence is a self-fulfilling prophecy that when you lack confidence in yourself, what's going to end up happening is that when other people see you, they're also not going to believe in you. And the same is true here. They felt, the Jewish people felt like they were grasshoppers in their own eyes. And then just as a natural result, as a self-fulfilling prophecy, it was, you know, it was clear that to other people, that because they viewed themselves in such a negative light, because they viewed themselves as grasshoppers, so too everybody else viewed them also as grasshoppers. But we should learn that the others, that the alternative is also true. If we view ourselves positively, if we view ourselves with a tremendous amount of self-confidence, then so too we will be able that you know, other people will view us as confident people. Other people will view us positively. And so, again, this is kind of a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy that who we believe we are, who we think we are, are we grasshoppers and then everyone else will think that we're nothing, that we think that we're grasshoppers? Or do we think that we have a tremendous amount of confidence and we can get the job done and so too everybody else will feel the same about us? So the Parsha goes on by saying that um, the by saying that the people wept all night long, they, they cried all night long, and God declares that um, that because the, they wept all night long, um, then because of that, Hashem says, I'll give you a reason to actually cry for real, not for no reason. I'll give you a reason to cry for real. And he and Hashem gave us Tishabov, which, of course, was the day that both temples uh, were destroyed, among a bunch of other terrible things happening. Um, so because of the fact that the people cried for no reason, then as a result, they, for Tisha B'Av, they, uh, Hashem said, well, I'll give you a real reason to cry, and destroyed both temples on the day, on that same day. 
Um, okay, so one of the interesting ideas about that is that Tisha B'Av, one of the main reasons that you're supposed to cry on Tisha B'Av is because you feel like you haven't fulfilled your potential. You see your, that you have a tremendous amount of potential and you look at yourself and you say, I haven't fulfilled that for the Jewish people. We know that we have the potential to you know, run the Beit HaMikdash, the, the sanctuary for God, yet we're not doing that right now. And that's what's making us so sad. But we're realizing what potential we have and then just how, how much short we're falling from that. As where the people in the Yechita Meraglim, in the sin of the spies, had almost the exact opposite problem, which is not a good reason to cry. They were crying because they thought that they lacked potential. They were crying because they thought that they were nothing but grasshoppers. They were totally insignificant. And because they felt that they were so insignificant, that's why they were crying. And that's not a good reason for us to cry. We should cry for only one reason, because we realize our tremendous amount of potential. We realize that we're not there yet. And that makes us so sad, that gap. That makes us so sad that we're, we have to cry. But on the other hand, it's not okay to cry because we just think we don't have potential. We do have potential. And we have to realize our immense amount of potential. We have to realize that we're far from grasshoppers, that we have a lot in us, a lot of potential. And when once we realize our potential, and then we realize just that gap between where we're holding right now versus our, our potential, that should make us cry, but not the fact that we're just lacking potential altogether. Okay, so moving on in the Parsha. So God threatens to destroy the entire Jewish people. And Moshe, he reads the 13 attributes of mercy. And then immediately after Moshe prays these 13 attributes of mercy, God, Hashem decides to change his mind and to forgive the Jewish people. So how exactly was it this easy? How was it so easy that Hashem just, you know, heard the 12 the, the 13 attributes of mercy, and all of a sudden changes his mind and saves his Jewish people. It's, it seems a little bit too easy. So a nice answer I heard is that, you know, what happened when Moshe read the 13 attributes of mercy, he changed, he changed the situation on the ground. He widened the goalpost. You know, in the 13 attributes of mercy, it, he says that God is very, Rav Chesed has much kindness. And you know, when you read these 13 attributes of mercy, you're kind of expanding the goalposts that basically there was a certain amount of kindness that God gave in the world. And what happened was the sin of the spies was outside of that realm of kindness. But then once Moshe read these 13 attributes of mercy, he kind of expanded, Moshe actually expanded the goalposts. They widened the goalposts and made it so the sin of the spies was kind of within the kindness that God allotted. Um, so that's a tremendous you know, lesson for us. That there's two ways to attack a problem. One is to just become better and you know, basically kick better field goals, if you will, to go along with that same idea that you don't have to widen the goalposts. Sometimes you're able just to be more accurate and be within the line. So the one thing they could have done was just there was a certain amount of chesed in the world and been within that amount of chesed, been within that amount of kindness. But the other way is what Moshe decided, which is sometimes in life, we have to realize that we just need to widen the goalposts. We need to expand our expectations a little bit. Um, and that will allow us to uh, also achieve the same goal. Okay, so moving on, I talk about, uh, the Parsha talks about um, these meal offerings uh, that will be given once the people enter the land of Israel. 
And what's surprising here is that they're not going to enter the land of Israel for another 39 years. They still have another 40 years in the desert. So why exactly are the laws for getting into Israel, give, giving a meal offering in Israel, be given given now at this point in the Parsha? The, the Jews aren't even in Israel yet. It's a surprising time to give such a such a law when the Jews still have 39 years to go. So I think the reason is because when a plan is pushed off, you know, the, the Jews were originally going to enter Israel right away. Then they did the sin of the spies and their plan was pushed off by 39 years, by 40 years. And what's important for us to realize is that when our plans are pushed off, we should still get excited about doing them, even though they may not be possible. So I think that the coronavirus was a tremendous time in our lives, and it still is, to implement the strategy that we had so many plans, so many ideas, so many things that we were going to do, and a lot of those were crushed by the coronavirus. But we shouldn't be despondent. We shouldn't think that there's nothing to life anymore. Rather, we should be excited about those things that we'll do once we're able to. And that's what happened here, that even though the Jews were 39 years away from, were 40, you know, almost 40 years away from, give, from entering the land of Israel, they could still be excited. They could still uh, get some amount of thrill from knowing what they'll be able to do in the future. Uh, and what they'll be able to do is give these offerings once they enter the land. So we should always look to that, you know, even if our plans are pushed off, even if our plans didn't work out the way we thought, we should still be excited about them. And if we're excited about them, it's a little bit of a taste of what we can expect later. Okay, so lastly, we learn about the laws of the tzitzit. And the word tzitzit, uh, Rashi says, comes from the word hatzitz, which means to look at intently. And what's fascinating here is that the verse says you shouldn't explore after your heart and your eyes. Um, and by looking at the tzitzit, that'll be a way to, um, to, to, uh, to, to uh, that'll be the antidote to just exploring after your heart and your eyes. And what's particularly relevant here is what we read at the beginning of the Parsha about the Chet Maraglim, about the sin of the spies. Because the spies, they were people that they did explore after their heart and their eyes. They did see these massive fruit. They did see the giants in the land. They saw that the, um, they saw the Amorim, the Amorites living in the land. They were scared um, of those people, of those giants, of those monsters, of the big fruit. And they thought that it was not gonna, they weren't going to be able to overcome it. So this Parsha gives us an antidote to some of those fears that we might have, to when we look at things and we think that there's, uh, you know, challenges that are just insurmountable. There's no way we could, we could accomplish them. When the tzitzit are there for us to look at them and to realize that, you know, if God has it in plan for us, then it'll happen that way. And sometimes when our eyes and when our hearts are, you know, wandering and thinking that we won't be able to achieve what we're supposed to achieve, we can look at those seats. We can look at the tzitzit, and um, that'll be the antidote to thinking that we don't have what it takes. Uh, because we can look at the tzitzit and realize that you know whatever uh, Shem has decided for us, that 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 will happen the way that it should. And um, being that we can look at something intently like the tzitzit, and that's the again that's the uh, way that we can fight off this inclination to just follow what our hearts and our eyes say. Um, even though if we looked at the tzitzit, we would realize that um, all of those things are just a facade, um, you know, for, for our ultimate uh, uh, plan. That 
the tzitzit are, are something to ground us in reality. And we shouldn't explore too far after our heart and our eyes. As long as we keep our eyes uh, kind of on the, on the tzitzit, um, then we will be able to, to be grounded and, um, and know what's most important in life. Okay, so to recap some of the major points that I talked about. Um, so again, I talked about how the, how the Parsha begins with the Chaita Maraglim, the sin of the spies. And these 12 people, they were all Nasim. They were all leaders of the people. They were very, very distinguished. And I said that they should have learned from last week's Parsha when Miriam, who also was a very distinguished person, that she was susceptible to Lashon Hora, that she was susceptible to evil speech, so too they should have realized that just being a leader doesn't mean that you're not susceptible to uh, committing sins, to, to doing things that you shouldn't. And in fact, I also said that these Miraglim were current leaders. They were leaders in Bamidbar. And it was likely that when they would enter Israel, that the leadership structure would change, that they weren't going to be the best leaders anymore. Um, once they entered the land of Israel, because all of a sudden they were, you know, they're good. They are the best leaders in the desert. They're not necessarily the best leaders in Israel. So this kind of sometimes being a leader can, um, you can have certain allegiances, certain biases that you have to keep in check. And you should realize that just because a person's a leader doesn't necessarily mean that they're infallible. And they, they sometimes still have uh, some weaknesses. You shouldn't, you know, always... you. But the, the lesson is you shouldn't trust yourself um, at all costs. You should realize that, you know, each one of us is also is human, is susceptible to problems, issues, etc. And because of that, we shouldn't have too much trust in ourselves. And like I spoke about at the end of the Parsha, the Tzitzit, there are a way to, we shouldn't just always be exploring after our heart and our eyes. Instead, we should be looking at what really matters uh, in life. Okay, so moving on in the Parsha. Um, I talked about how Joshua's name is changed from Hosea to Yehoshua, and interestingly, Moshe didn't bless anyone else, so I gave two reasons for this. One is is because Moshe realized that Joshua was extremely humble, and his humility was susceptible to being persuaded. But as I spoke about in last week's um, podcast, that true humility is someone that isn't afraid to stand up for themselves, yet is humble, um, you know, so... Joshua shouldn't have been afraid to stand up for himself, but he also should have been cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, that, uh, that he was still a very humble person and realized that there was still a lot that he could do to improve himself. Another reason given, though, for why um, Hosea was changed to Yehoshua was because Joshua was Moshe's main student. And I said that this is kind of one of the perks of being very close to great people that when we're close and we attach ourselves to great people, then uh, we'll be able to, um, you know, sometimes there are perks that come out of that. Moshe is, was so close to Joshua that Moshe wanted to see the best happen to Joshua. Okay, so I also talked about how Moshe tells the people to take fruit, and they did just that. They ended up taking grapes and figs and pomegranates, um, so what exactly did they do wrong? And I said what they did wrong here, it was their intent. They intended to show that the land was so abnormal and dangerous and scary that it was bad. But I also, I talked about the Moshe was in, intending to show that the fruit were so big and plentiful and abundant. And it's all about the intent. What, we're, what we want to do is this, even the same things can have multiple intents. And depending on what we intend with something is usually how it ends up turning out. 
So if we intend good things, that same big fruit, that same big, you know, um, fig and pomegranate and grapes, those can be used for good or bad, depending on our intention. Okay, so I also spoke about how uh, the people say the land is flowing with milk and honey, Ephes, but, and then there are powerful giants and there's a Malik, and I said that falsehood can't stand by itself. You need at least a scintilla of truth to say that the land is in fact flowing with milk and honey. Uh, that's the only way that this, this entire report stood. Um, I also talked about how the word but implies some kind of their own opinion. You know, they were, they were okay to, to just give a report, just the facts. But when you say but, that implies that you, you know, are, that you have some opinion in this, that you think that one thing is good and one thing is bad. And that's perhaps what the, what the spies did wrong. Okay, so I also talked about how, um, how Kalev says that we will surely ascend and conquer it. And this surely ascend means as long as you're constantly improving, then that's really all that matters. I also talked here about how they felt like they were grasshoppers in our, uh, we were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we saw that they were grass, and and so we are grasshoppers in their eyes. And I talked about how a lack of confidence is a self-fulfilling prophecy, that if a person sees themselves as nothing but a grasshopper, is totally irrelevant, then so too everyone else will see them as irrelevant. However, on the other hand, if we see ourselves positively in a positive light, so too everyone else will see will see us in a positive light. Um, I also spoke about how the people wept that night for no reason. They cried that night for no reason. And God said, because you cried for no reason, I'll give you a reason to cry about. I'll give you Tishabov. And I said that the idea of Tishabov is that we cry from not fulfilling our potential. That's how we should cry. But here the people were crying because they thought that they lacked potential. They thought that they were grasshoppers. So it's important that we realize our immense amount of potential and um, just how much you know, we can accomplish in our lives. Okay, so I also talked about how the 13 attributes of mercy kind of expand the goalposts. They bring more truth to the world, uh, more kindness, and exp they expand what's possible. And um, I lastly spoke about how um, when a plan is pushed off, like entering Israel, even though Israel, the, they, the Jews wouldn't be able to enter Israel for another 40 years. Um, they were still given the laws about meal offerings for when they entered, because so too for us, like during the coronavirus, we can realize that even though some of our plans have been pushed off, we can still be excited about them, still learn about them, still be involved in them. And lastly, I talked about how the tzitzit are like the hatzits, that you're supposed to look at them intently. And when you have something to ground yourself in, like the tzitzit, then you're a lot less likely to explore after your heart and eyes. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim.